Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, speak to our hearts now as we come to you as children. Children to learn from our Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 5, 1. Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's our verse this morning. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So what we saw so far as we've gone through this is we've seen how the Lord Jesus had a great following. They came from all over Israel. They came from beyond Israel. When he saw the people, as we saw, they had no shepherd. And this is what moved his heart. They had no shepherd. He saw these people as people who were misled, misguided, deceived. And it was all because of the teaching, the wrong teaching that they had grown up with, that they had been fed, that they were part of their lives. And so first order of business for him, correct that, fix that, was to heal the ignorance in the people by teaching. So he goes up into a side of a mountain, and he's going there essentially to undo all the wrong teaching which they've had. He goes up there, he goes and does his great teaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, we saw how the Lord started off by teaching the people before anyone can benefit from God, before God can help anyone, that person has to see himself in a state of poverty, in a state of being poor in spirit, in a state of great need. So if a person doesn't see himself that way, if a person sees himself and says, well, I'm pretty good off, pretty well off, I don't need anything in life, then I'm sorry, God says, I can't help you because he comes to help those who need help. He comes to help those who are in need, and he's wanting to take away this poverty of spirit. And so he promises the person who sees himself as being poor in spirit that that's good. He says, you're blessed, you're fortunate. You say, how can a person be blessed? How can a person be fortunate who's poor in spirit? He says, no. He says, because there's a great promise, not just a promise for the spur of the moment, but it's a promise that he is going to be, they're gonna receive the kingdom of God. He says this later on, Luke 12, 32, Luke 12, 32, when he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The first order of business as he goes through his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount has to do with how does a person evaluate himself? How does a person see himself? As he sees himself in pretty good shape, he doesn't really need anything, then God says, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But if he sees himself as being poor in spirit, having nothing, and he comes to God in that state, then God says, I can help you, I can give you the kingdom of heaven. So the first requirement 
for a person to benefit from God is to see himself as needy, as in great need, and to come to God in that state, needing help and asking God for help. And he says, does he see yourself that way? Very fortunate, blessed, blessed. And now he moves on to the second requirement, and he says here in verse four, blessed, fortunate, very happy are you if you mourn. They that mourn, why? For they shall be comforted. The Lord is saying, but someone is in this great position of mourning, then he's blessed, he's very happy because he's gonna be comforted. Now, in order for us to really understand this statement that the Lord made here, blessed are they that mourn, we need to understand the meaning of the word mourn. What is he talking about? The meaning of the word mourn. The Greek word that's used here is a very strong word, pentos. It doesn't just mean kind of a light sadness. It means a deep sorrow, like a wailing. And I wonder if you've ever experienced this or seen Someone in this state, it reminds me, when I would speak of this word, it reminds me of a German family in Bavaria that we had gotten very close to, worked together, and the family had a firstborn son named Rolf, and a daughter, Beata, and one summer, their 22-year-old son, Rolf, he came over, he lived with us in El Cajon, he really became like a son to us. Very close, got to know him pretty well. I mean, his hobby was he loved to fly gliders, there in Bavaria, and and so I remember he used to go outside at our house and lay on the lounge and just look up at the sky. <laughs> he was there looking up there, and we knew what he was thinking. I mean, he was imagining flying. That's what he loved. Uh, anyway, summer was over, and Rolf returned home to Bavaria, and back home in Bavaria in the fall there, it was a, a rainy day, and Rolf was driving his little VW on a country road there, and he took this turn a little too fast, and the car skidded as it went around this turn. It skidded, and it went off the road there onto a field, and it was skidding along the field until it hit the tree. And he slammed into the tree, and unfortunately, Rolf was not wearing a seatbelt at the time, so when the car hit the tree, Rolf was propelled out the side window, the window is next to him there, as he propelled out the side window and his head slammed into that tree. And so he was life flighted over there to the trauma center in Murnau, Murnau, which is my wife's maiden name. And I didn't really know when I got the report how bad Rolf was in. So I called the trauma center there and I asked, you know, what's it gonna be like for Rolf when he leaves the hospital, you know, with this injury? And then I remember so distinctly, the nurse told me, look, it's not a question of how Rolf is going to be when he leaves the hospital. It's a question of whether Rolf will leave the hospital. I heard that. I go, oh, wow. So Cheryl and I flew immediately over there to Germany, and we were with the family, and we waited with them. We spent seven days with them waiting how Rolf was going to do, and then Rolf died. And that was when the mourning started. The sadness started for Rolf's mother, Doris. She could not stop crying. Day after day, she cried. Family and friends came over to their house with food. And I have a picture of Rolf's mother at that time, surrounded by family and friends, and she's kind of smiling. But what's so distinct is her eyes. Her eyes are black all the way around. She's got deep black eyes. 
It's not because she was hit or something like that. She had cried so much that the blood vessels around her eye had broke, and that's why she had black eyes. You couldn't console her. She was overwhelmed with grief, overwhelmed with sorrow. At times she wailed, at times she sobbed, but the tears never stopped her eyes. She was mourning over the loss of her son, her firstborn son, her onlyborn son, and her soul was in a state of bitterness, bitterness for her firstborn son. This is the word, this is the meaning that's behind the word pentos. It's a deep mourning, a sorrow, and the question becomes, when does this happen? Well, well, of course, it's the death of the firstborn, but also it's interesting because in Scripture, there's another situation where this type of mourning is called out for and described as in Zechariah 12.10. In Zechariah 12.10, it says that God is gonna pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And then it's gonna say, what's gonna happen? They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And so they're gonna look on the Lord Jesus Christ and they're gonna realize we did that to him. Yeah, the Roman nails, the Roman hands, the Roman hammer. But no, 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 it was us who put him into that. And they're gonna look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. This is word, this is pentoth. This is the word here. This is the deep sorrow that Doris felt for her firstborn son, for Rolf. There's a deep sorrow that's referred to here in Matthew 5, 4, or in verse 4 here. Blessed are they that mourn. It's a type of sorrow that the Jewish people are going to experience in Zechariah 12, 10, when it says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, where they're going to see the Lord Jesus come back the second time in his second coming. They're going to see the nail prints in his hands, and they're going to realize they pierced him when they turned him over to the Romans. And their mourning is going to be so strong, as it says in Zechariah 12, 10, that it's going to be a bitterness in their soul. This is what the Lord is referring to here in verse 4 when it says, blessed are they that mourn. What is this? What are they mourning over in verse 4? A person is mourning here over his sin, over his sin. Just like the Jewish people are going to mourn over their sin when they pierced him. The person's going to mourn in verse 4 over his personal sin. It's interesting how King Solomon describes in the book of Ecclesiastes two types of people. He says one's a wise person, one's a foolish person. And he says in Ecclesiastes 7.4, Ecclesiastes 7.4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. So he's saying that the foolish person is at a party. He's at a party. Why? Because he doesn't see anything wrong to sin. He's having a great time. He's the person who's trying to figure out, well, I've got so much. We've got to build some new barns here. He doesn't realize that night his soul is going to be required of him. In the days of Noah, they were eating, they were drinking, they were giving in marriage, they were in the house of mirth. They didn't realize judgment was coming the next day. They were all going to be killed in the flood. Same with in Sodom. Good times roll. They didn't realize But the wise person realizes, therefore, he's in the house of mourning. He's mourning his own sin. The foolish person doesn't care. The foolish person is rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. And there are different examples in Scripture of different people who were mourning, 
who were mourning. For example, in Luke 18, 13, Luke 18, 13, there was a publican. He was mourning. When says the publican in Luke 18, 13, the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's mourning. He's mourning there. He's mourning his own condition. It's not just the publican. Also in Luke 15, Luke 15, 21, Luke 15, 21, there's another person. He's a son. He's a son of a father, but he's a rebellious son of a father. He's a prodigal son. He's run away from home. And it says there that he's mourning, and he says in Luke 15, 21, and the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. That's a mourning. That's a mourning in verse 4 that's referring to the person, there's the prodigal son, this, the publican. It's also what happens to a person that the Holy Spirit does his work on. The Lord Jesus, John 16, John 16, verse 7, John 16, verse 7, talk about the Holy Spirit. And he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, expedient for you, I go away. If I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. The comforter will not come unto you. Blessed are they that mourn, so they shall be comforted. The comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send them unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Sin, because they believe not on me. Righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. When the Holy Spirit does his work of convicting a person of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that person is mourning And he is mourning because of the sin that he has plagued with, because of the righteousness that he doesn't have, and because of the judgment of hell that's waiting for him. And that's what happens. And God says, when a person comes to that place where they mourn over those, he's blessed, he's fortunate. Right around the corner is comfort from the comforter. This kind of mourning, this kind of sorrow is really different from a sorrow that's hopeless, from a sorrow that leads to death, from a sorrow that has a bad outcome. So the sorrow and the mourning and the sorrow that the Lord is referring to in verse four, it's different. It has a good outcome. And so this really brings to us the fact that there are two sorrows. There are two types of sorrows. And this is made clear in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, 2 Corinthians 7, 9, where Paul said, I rejoice that you were made sorry but you sorrowed to repentance. You were made sorrow after a godly manner. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Let me just get that, those three words. Sorrow, repentance, salvation. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. But the sorrow of this world worketh death. So the godly sorrow, what does godly sorrow come from? It comes from realization that I'm bankrupt. It comes from realization that the world with all of its possessions, all of its pleasures, it can't satisfy me anymore. It can't make me happy anymore. It can't comfort my heart. It can't give me a sense of security. And I'm really sad. It's the death of the world's promises to me. And this sorrow is a deep mourning. It's a deep mourning. And also it's a deep mourning for the sin that I've done. And when a person's in that state, he's sorry for his sin, and the Lord says he's blessed, he's going to be comforted. 
But the two types of sorrow here, which are being explained here in 2 Corinthians 7.10, is that just because a person is sad, just because a person feels sorry, just because a person is mourning, that doesn't mean he has the right sorrow that's going to result in repentance to salvation. Because these two sorrows, so it really has to do with what is a person sorry for? What is a person mourning for? Because God has two goals for every person. God has two goals for every person. And those two goals were what Paul dedicated his life for, what Paul was doing. And he says, I'm preaching, I'm teaching, I'm exhorting, because I want people to come to two places, two goals. And he states that clearly in Acts 20, 21. Acts 20, 21. Acts 20, verse 21. When it describes Paul as testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, everybody, both to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God, number one, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, number two. Those are the two goals that God has for every person. Number one, repentance toward God. Number two, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what verse four is talking about. Blessed are they that mourn. That's repentance toward God. That's sorrow over sin. For they shall be comforted. That's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you cannot separate them. You cannot separate in verse four, the mourning and the being comforted. You cannot separate repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But just because you you can't do that and cannot have faith, you cannot have faith, you cannot have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ without repentance toward God. You cannot have repentance toward God without having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're inseparable. Repentance and faith are inseparable. True faith cannot exist without true repentance. True repentance cannot exist without true faith. And these are the two conditions that are necessary for a person to be saved. They're necessary for salvation. There must be repentance toward God for salvation. That's the great comfort. There must be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. At the top of my driveway, I have a a small tangerine tree. It's been there for a long time. It must have been there for, for over 40 years. And I don't know what kind of a tangerine tree this is because the label's not on it anymore. If it ever was there, I don't know. But I know the fruit is just fantastic. I think the fruit's fantastic. I've never found any tangerine fruit like this. And so, I mean, I've looked around, you know, went to the nurseries, to, you know, tried the fruit, you know. I say, okay, I have to collect the seeds and go through the process of growing the seeds to get the fruit. You know, the big farmer that I am raised in Los Angeles, I thought tomatoes grew on trees, you know. So it's all new to me how you do all this, you know, the process of trying to grow the tree. Anyway, I've been in the process now for over a year, and it's very interesting. And it's very interesting because I'm starting to see there's three stages in this process of getting the tangerine fruit from these seeds, you know. And I was thinking about that because the three stages to getting this fruit from the tangerine that a person goes through to be saved. I mean, first I planted a lot of tangerine seeds. So I planted a lot of seeds and I expected that each seed was going to germinate to make a little tree. But it, no, that's not what happened. I was surprised. Really, the majority of the seeds, they didn't sprout. I don't know why. But anyway, they went nowhere. But fortunately, a few seeds did. And in the first stage, the seeds that worked, something happened. I couldn't see. I mean, I was staring at it, you know, almost every day. What's happening? 
And you don't see anything. It's just soil. It's all happening under the ground there. What happened with the seeds that worked is that there was a formation of a root. I couldn't see the root. I don't want to see the root. If I see the root, I kill the tree. But it was all happening underneath the ground. The seed that worked gave rise to a root. And the root was very important because without a root, there's no tree. And if without a tree, there's no fruit. So without a root, there's no fruit. And because the root is going to obviously feed the tree and the root's going to hold the tree in place and sustain the tree and the leaves are gone or whatever. And this is very interesting. And the Lord also used as the starting point in his parables when he gave the most important parable that he said, this is the most important parable. This is a foundational parable. And we call it the parable of the sower and the seed. In Luke 8, 5, Luke 8, 5, he said, a sower went out to sow his seed. Luke 8, 11, Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. When anybody hears the word of God, seed has been sown to him. In some cases, the seed goes nowhere. It just bounces off the stony ground, has no soil. The soil is not, it's too hard. It doesn't penetrate. And it goes through the different types. But one of the types that he talked about was this ground. It actually had some soil in it, but there was just a lot of stones, rocks. And so as a result of that, he said, that's like a person who has like stony heart. And so what happened there is that the plant doesn't have the ability to hold itself in the soil. It can't withstand because the root is not strong There's all these rocks there so that when the winds come, the plant will just be gone. So the winds of temptation, when the winds of persecution blow on that person, the person doesn't stand like the tree, like the tree that only has the rocks around it, can't get the the root to grab a hold. There's no root in himself. And this is what the Lord called out when he said, the problem is the root, the root. He says in Matthew 13, 20, Matthew 13, 20, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and a nun with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when temptation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he's offended. The person in that condition has no root in himself. And this is the issue. There's no root. It's the root that holds the person against the forces of persecution, temptation, without the root. It's all about the root, no root, no standing. So the first step is the root. And the root is this word in Matthew 5, 4, in verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. That's the root. The mourning is the root. The root is sorrow. It's a deep sorrow in the heart. It's a sorrow over his own sin. The mourning is like a training course. It's like a boot camp against the tough times. And and there's this right kind of sorrow that's referred to in 2 Corinthians 7.10. 2 Corinthians 7.10, what it says, it's called godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. There's a wrong kind of sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Wrong kind. 2 Corinthians 17 is called the sorrow of the world. So the sorrow of the world is put against comparison, the godly sorrow. And if there's godly sorrow, then the root is going to progress to the second stage of the plant. The second stage is the stem. It's the stem that I was looking for, and all of a sudden it breaks through the ground, and it took a long time for it to happen. And it's great when you see the little stems break through the ground that push their way out. That's the second stage in the process. It's necessary to get the fruit. The second stage is the stem. 
The stem represents repentance. The root is is sorrow. The stem is repentance. Not all of the seeds germinated and ended up producing a stem that broke through the ground. Some of the seeds made stems, some didn't. And the only way I knew it was a seed was doing its job down there and resulted in a root, the only way I knew that there was a root going on was this outward evidence of the stem. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 